If you have your Bible, then I would invite you to turn to Acts chapter 1, verse 1. Just to let you know that I decided to do a little bit of a change here this morning. Uh, That's kind of different from the bulletin. I thought about going from verses 1 to 11. But this past week, I was kind of under the weather. I had a bad hay fever. And and then I think, I think the Lord wants us to kind of slow down a little bit. Instead of going through a big chunk of passage, let's just take it slowly and see what God has to say to us this morning. So Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. This is God's holy and inerrant word. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Thus far, the reading of God's word. So before I went on my vacation, I told Gary that I had an epiphany. He, was all, he had all the years. He was very intrigued by it. And no, an angel didn't just appear to me one day and just gave me a revelation. Uh, as I was studying scripture, uh, particularly the ascension of Jesus Christ two weeks ago, it just became clear to me that the Lord wants us to learn and study the book of Acts because I was quoting the book of Acts a lot during that week. And I think we should study the book of Acts at this period of our time in the history of Oak Ridge Baptist Church. It will be a monumental task for all of us, and especially for me as we try to, try to walk through this, however long the Lord gives us. Aside from the obvious that the book of Acts is the inspired word of God, I think there are so many reasons for us why it is good to go through this book. Uh, I can list out a number of reasons, like Acts will inspire us as a church to go out and to fulfill the Great Commission and to continue the Great Commission, which uh, Dale, Dale read this morning. You see, the Great Commission is still a mandate and it's still a responsibility for us as Christians. Now, during this whole past year, we might have become so, some of us, of us may have become more focused on some of the social issues happening around our culture and society, uh, and even trying to survive the pandemic, and even just other tertiary issues. But I, therefore, I sense that even as our, as our church, we need to come back and refocus reorient ourselves and to remind ourselves of this truth of fulfilling the Great Commission. That's the first reason. Second reason is, as we were challenged by Pastor Jim's message last Sunday, I'm sure all of us want God to bless us as a church, both numerically and spiritually, but the latter is more important than than the former. The latter is more important than the former, Spiritual growth is much more important than numerical growth. Nonetheless, the book of Acts will clarify to us the purpose of the church and describe how the early church, they, how they grew both numerically and spiritually. 
Another reason is the act, the book of Acts will also prepare us to suffer well for Christ, to suffer well for Christ. Now, in our North American, Western culture, civilization, perhaps we're just way too sensitive towards the idea of suffering, of persecution. And we are so complacent, very comfortable. We do not need to have the fear of persecution. We can worship freely. But even then, the trade-off could be that we may, have, we, have, we may have become so comfortable with our Christian life to the point that we, lost, we may have lost courage and boldness to declare the gospel accurately. And even as we were challenged last Sunday, Jim asked all of us, when was the last time you told someone the message of the gospel this year? Who did you share the gospel this year? Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. When was the last time you called someone? to repent of their sins and place their faith in Jesus Christ. And so I think the book of Acts will help us and prepare us to suffer well for Christ. Another reason is, just as this, this, this was the last one for now, is that book of Acts will clarify the message of the gospel for us and also clarify what evangelism looks like. You know, we have the responsibility to tell others about the gospel because that is how a person can be saved from their sins and be reconciled to a holy God and have their sins forgiven. And I also believe the book of Acts will clarify and even correct a lot of the, the, the American Christianity of how they talk about the gospel and evangelism. And it will also solidify our gospel pre- presentation. So those are kind of the reasons why I think it's a good idea for us to go through the book of Acts. But perhaps some of you may not be familiar with this book. And, or perhaps some of you are familiar, but maybe you need to be reminded of what, what this book is all about. Therefore, it's a good idea for any student of the Bible to kind of go through of a, of an aerial view, okay? Go through an overview of this book because you will want to understand the general idea of this whole book and who wrote this book and who was this book written to and why this book was written. So let's start off with the author. Acts was written by this man named Luke. Indeed, he is the same author who wrote the third gospel in our Bible, the Gospel of Luke. Well, just how do we know it was Luke who was the author of this book? Well, there's the, there are two evidences. There's the internal evidence and there's the external evidence. The internal evidence is that Luke begins by stating in verse 1 of Acts chapter 1, verse 1, the first book. He was referring to the Gospel of Luke. The author was writing to the same recipient, a man named Theophilus. And so when you read both the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, the author has similar writing styles, both professionally and and formally. And also, external evidence-wise, is that the early church, they gave a unanimous testimony that the book of Acts is attributed to Luke. But it's also important to know who the author was. Who was Luke? Well, ultimately, we know the divine author of the Bible, the book of Acts, and the whole scripture is God himself. But the human author is Luke. So it is, not, it is not trivial to learn about the background of Luke. 
because it helps us to understand his style and his purpose of writing this book. See, Luke, he was actually a doctor or a physician. Paul calls him the physician in Colossians chapter 4, verse 14. Therefore, even as you read his gospel, he uses some medical terms that Matthew and Mark don't use. And additionally, Luke was also a historian who tells us the story, the history of the life of Jesus Christ and the life of the early church. That's why in Luke chapter 1, verse 1, Luke tells us that he has undertaken to compile a narrative of the life of Jesus by interviewing the eyewitnesses of the resurrected Lord. Furthermore, Luke was a close companion with the apostle Paul and other apostles. And, he was in, and also in 2 Timothy, he also went to prison with Paul. So when he wrote Luke and Acts, he would have been closely associated with the apostles, not isolated and just doing his own thing. And also, and also a very fascinating truth and, re- and fact about Luke is that Luke was a Gentile. He was a Gentile and the only Gentile that authored the New Testament. This is interesting because the longest books in the New Testament, Luke and Acts, were written by a Gentile. Now, Acts is a sequel to the first book. It's a sequel to the first book, which is the Gospel of Luke. And Bible scholars often call this Luke-Acts. Luke-Acts, because there are two volumes of Luke's work. See, Luke wrote his gospel with a particular purpose, and that is to gather evidence from eyewitnesses, an eyewitness account, and to present to Theophilus an account of Jesus so that he would have certainty have certainty and confidence and without about concerning the things that he has been taught. So a general principle is that the scripture, the written scripture, should give us believers the certainty of what we have learned and have been taught. And then we know that the book of Acts is a sequel because the recipient whom Luke was writing to is Theophilus. Now let's talk about who this guy is. Who is Theophilus? Now, as I already alluded, alluded to, Theophilus was a person. However, some have suggested, have said, or think that Theophilus was not even a real name, nor was he was a real person. Because the term, uh, the phrase Theophilus, refers to Christians in general. Because the word Theophilus is a compound word that combines two Greek words, Theos and Philip meaning God-lover, meaning God-lovers. Christians are God-lovers. However, I'm personally not too convinced that Theophilus was not a real person because in his gospel, Luke addresses Theophilus as the most excellent, which is a term to refer to someone who has a high status. So Theophilus might have been someone who held a high status in society, namely he was a Roman official, a Roman official. And if that were so, and I believe this is most likely, that this reveals one of Luke's purposes in writing book, the book of Acts. Although it is not explicit here in our text, uh, some have suggested that Luke wrote Acts to Theophilus, the Roman official, to show him that the early church 
the early Christians were not troublemakers per se, but they were outstanding citizens in the Greco-Roman world. Luke speaks well of the Gentile government in the way they treated the Christians. See, they didn't persecute Christians because they were be- when they were before rulers, and oftentimes when the Christians were before trial, on trial, these Roman governors, they did not see anything wrong about the Christians. And this would most likely suggest that Acts was written when Paul was alive and probably near the end of his first imprisonment, perhaps around 80, uh, 62 AD. And one of the reasons why this is important to note is that Luke doesn't mention Nero, Emperor Nero. See, Nero was a Roman emperor, a tyrant, who later on would issue a major terrorization and persecution of the church after 64 AD. So if Acts were written a lot later, then it would have been unusual for Luke to, uh, to omit this important piece of information regarding Nero's persecution of the church. So therefore, I think this book was written around 62 AD before Nero terrorized the church. And so having understood the general overview of the book of Acts, we can proceed to look at the text that is before us this morning. You see, I titled this message, Facing a Task Unfinished, Part 1. See, the work of redemption accomplished by Jesus through his death and resurrection and burial and ascension was complete. Nothing can be added to what he has done to bring salvation to those who repent and believe. But the work of Jesus in proclaiming and ministering to the lost is not done yet. So Acts reveals to us the beginning of the continued work of Jesus. But this work will continue by the church, through the church. Jesus is passing the baton to his apostles and disciples and proclaiming the good news. And we as a church are continuing his work until the day he takes us back to himself. Therefore, the task is unfinished here, brothers and sisters. The task of evangelism, the task of telling others about the gospel of Jesus Christ, the task of missions, the task of reaching, reaching others and being faithful in telling others about Jesus is not complete yet. We still have work to do. Now, some of you might feel hesitant and may even raise some objections. You may think that evangelism, some of you may think that evangelism and missions are only for those who are called to be evangelists and missionaries. Therefore, you may feel it's not your responsibility. You may also think, some of you may also think that you are not gifted in evangelism. So you may feel like you should focus on doing other tangible work, like helping the poor and helping the needy. Those are all good things. Uh, be kind and nice to your neighbors and to other people. And those are also good things. But I'm, I'm, so I'm not going to force you. I'm not going to force you to tell others about Jesus. I'm just here to explain to you God's word. But I do want to strongly encourage you to consider the early church. See, the early church, they weren't all that ready to face this task, per se. They were weak in their faith. They failed, to, they failed in their devotion to Jesus when he was arrested and crucified. See, with the, with the exception of John, 
they were all cowards and fearing for their own lives. And so they hid. And even when Christ was raised from the dead, some even, most were fearful, and some even doubted. So from a human standpoint, they were perhaps the most unqualified people to face the task unfinished. And Jesus knew about that. He knew they were were not ready. But he still commissioned his apostles to do so. Jesus did not, but Jesus did not leave them unequipped. But he reiterated the promise of the Holy Spirit who will empower them to do such a work. And I believe the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, will also empower us as well. So I, and as I have mentioned already, one of the reasons of our going through Acts is that it clarifies the gospel message for us. And so if you're not equipped yet, to tell others about Jesus, then this series would hopefully help you to do so. And the question that you should ask yourself is this, brothers and sisters. Do you, do you want to face the task unfinished? And if not, then why not? What's holding you back? What is keeping you from obeying the instruction from Jesus Christ, where we are to go and make disciples of all nations. The Great Commission revealed to us at the end of Matthew 28 is a commission for a reason. Jesus did not give us the great suggestion, nor did he give us a great recommendation. It's a great commission. It It is an order, an authoritative order from our Lord himself. And to to not face the task unfinished, to not evangelize and make disciples, means that you are not obeying the Lord. And that is not a good, good place to be in. And no Christian would want to disobey the Lord. And I hope and I trust that you desire to obey Christ with your whole being. And I hope and I hope and pray that you want to face the task unfinished. And so if you do say, yes, I want to face the task unfinished, or perhaps you're just not sure right now of how to do it, then Luke's prologue in this book of Acts will provide us some general yet applicable principles for us to consider. And these principles will, lay, will be laid out in the form of a question, and that is how to face a task unfinished. Well, are you growing in the knowledge of the message of the gospel? That's a question you've got to ask yourself. Are you growing in the knowledge of the message of the gospel? Take a look at verses 1 to 3 again, where Luke says this. In the first book of Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands to the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. See, Luke gives us a brief recapitulation of the gospel of Luke. And the gospel means good news. That is the good news of salvation where sinner can be saved from their sins and the wrath to come. The good news explains the person and the work of Jesus and bring salvation to the lost, to those who repent and believe. 
In verse 1, Luke tells us that he has dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. This phrase, have dealt, means to compose and to formulate. Luke is reminding Theophilus that he gathered evidence and proofs regarding the life of Jesus. Let's take a look at verses, Luke chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, where Luke says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught." See, from the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry until his ascension, Jesus instructed his apostles by word and deed. He performed miracles to reveal his deity and to strengthen their faith. He taught them the truth that would formulate their theology. He taught them parables to clarify deep spiritual truths. And he even rebuked and corrected them for their wrong thinking. But not only did Jesus teach the truth, but he also lived the truth. He also lived the truth. And so that's what Luke did in compiling everything about the life of Jesus. He has dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. And in verse 2, Luke tells us that Jesus gave commands to the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he has chosen. Now, Jesus did teach many people. There's no doubt about that. But his primary and constant learners were his apostles. He was preparing them to lay out the foundation of the church in sound doctrine. To lay out the foundation of the church in sound doctrine. And such command that Jesus gave to his apostles emphasized the force of the truth. These commands are instructions given for obedience. And this should also imply that Jesus taught about the consequences of disobedience. And also note that Jesus gave them commands through the Holy Spirit. Luke has a fascinating theme on the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus in his gospel. There is so much truth, so much richness that we can learn about the relationship between Jesus and the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit to do the work of ministry, which should then be a pattern for believers, where we also are to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to do ministry. And we'll certainly learn a lot about the Holy Spirit in this book, because he's probably mentioned around 70 times. Furthermore, in verse 3, Luke summarizes for us the life and the work of Jesus in view of his work of redemption, that is, his death and resurrection. Jesus presented himself alive before his apostles with many proofs that were convincing and factual. See, the apostles and the disciples of Jesus really believed that Jesus died on the cross, but they did not expect his resurrection which they ought to have, given the fact that Jesus has taught them so many times that he, on the, that he must suffer and on the third day be raised from the dead. See, Christianity is not established upon superstition or blind faith, but reasonable evidences 
to make the case for true and authentic Christianity. See, Jesus remained with his apostles for 40 days and continued to appear to many people who would become eyewitnesses to his resurrection. See, this is significant here. This is significant because the apostles testified and proclaimed the resurrected Jesus in their ministry in the book of Acts. For instance, Peter and John proclaimed the resurrection before the Jewish council. The apostle Paul was teaching about the resurrection before the Gentile philosophers. And Paul was standing on trial before Gentile rulers in respect to the resurrection. You see, brothers and sisters, what you need to realize is that what motivated, what really empowered, what also empowered and gave these Christians boldness was due to the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And because he lives, we can face tomorrow. And all fear is gone, as the hymn says. And so during, the four, during Jesus' final 40 days before his ascension, he continued instructing his apostles because his time on earth was limited. His time on earth was limited. And the content of his instruction pertains to the kingdom of God. But more on this topic of the kingdom of God in the future sermon. See, in order to face the task unfinished, it is fundamental for believers to know the message of the gospel, to know his teachings, his life, and resurrection, his death, all those things, and even generally the whole the scriptures as well. You see, a truck driver or a person cannot just drive a truck without going through education and learning how to drive a truck. And so similarly, if you were to declare the, God, the message, then you should know the message accurately and precisely. Now, it may take some time for new believers to be educated and instructed in the faith. And for older believers, for older believers, whether I don't know how many years you've been a Christian for, but it is not trivial for us to continue to grow in our knowledge of God. We must keep learning. We must keep learning and being taught and instructed in the word of God. It is necessary to study the Bible. It is necessary to learn good theology and sound doctrine and in-depth truths of the Bible. Why is that? It's because the deeper you go in the truth of God's word, the more rooted you are in your faith. Christians who are only content with shallow content and shallow faith would not be effective in the work of ministry. But not just ministry, though, but won't be effective in the Christian life in general. It is fundamental for us to go deep. It is fundamental for us to know the scriptures. Therefore, according to Ephesians chapter 4, it is my job as a pastor and teacher to equip you for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. For what purpose? So that we may no longer, we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. 
And that's also an aspect of a sermon. As you are listening, brothers and sisters, and responding to the message, you're not just merely learning and being inspired and motivated. Although those are important. You are being equipped. You are being equipped to go and do the work of ministry that God has given to you. I know during COVID time, we all watching, you, some of you are all watching TV and just sitting back on the couch. But let me encourage you. It's so tempting to just be passive and just listen and just spectate. But that's not what Christians should be doing. Not to spectate, but to participate in the work of ministry. So let me, let me encourage you of that. Paul even prays to the, to the Colossians here. And it's also my prayer for you as well, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. But it's not just merely learning facts and knowledge, but it's also living them out. See, Jesus taught the truth, and he lived out the truth, and we are to do the same as well. John MacArthur once commented this, and I quote, Two major factors contribute to the church's powerlessness today. First, many are ignorant of biblical truth. Second, those who may know biblical truth all too often fail to live by it. Proclaiming an erroneous message is tragic, yet so is proclaiming the truth but giving scant evidence that one's life has been transformed by it. Such people cannot expect others to be motivated to be moved by their proclamation, end quote. So we need balance. We need to teach the truth, but we also need to live out the truth. But the question still remains for you to answer. And that is, are you growing in the knowledge of the message of the gospel? Are you growing nowadays? How have you been growing this past year, especially during COVID time? I know it's hard, but how have you been doing these days? And perhaps some of you may, may say that you know it's important to spend time with the Lord. You know it's important to learn the Bible. You know that. You know it's important to pray to Him. But often the excuse is, I just don't have time. I just don't have time. I'm just too busy. I I just don't feel motivated. I have to take care of this thing and that thing. I have children to look after. I'm working overtime, and I'm drained. I'm depleted. And And I, as a pastor, would sympathize. I sympathize that life happens. However, let me exhort you with this. I believe that effectiveness in the ministry and effectiveness in the Christian life depends largely on your deep and clear understanding of God's word. I believe that effectiveness in the ministry and life of the Christian depends largely on your deep and clear understanding of God's word. See, I saw this post on Facebook the other day that resonates with this point. Uh, The question was, why do you need as much of God's word as possible? And this person was quoting the 17th century Puritan Stephen Charnock, where he says this, and I quote, 
it is because the higher de the degrees of this saving illumination, that is the Bible, are in the mind, the stronger and firmer are the habits and acts of grace in the will. The same hand that darts light into the mind puts heat into the will. End quote. See, the more we read the Bible, the more we know His Word, God's Word, the more we are moved by the Spirit of God through the Word of God to live in, a, in such a way that honors and glorifies Christ. So I exhort all of us that if we want to be a church that faces the task unfinished, then it is important for us to grow in our understanding of the message of the gospel and also the Bible in, gen in, in general. Second, how to face the task unfinished. Do I have it here? Nope. The second one is this. Are you experiencing the might of the Holy Spirit? Are you experiencing the might of the Holy Spirit? You see, Acts chapter 1, verses 4 to 5 says this. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. But John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. See, this second point should complement the first point. See, having witnessed, and having witnessed the resurrected Jesus and were taught by him, the apostles may have been motivated to move forward to continue the work of ministry. But Jesus stops them by telling them, wait, hold on a minute. You must not leave Jerusalem yet. You must wait for the promise of the Father. See, Christianity did not happen merely because the apostles and early Christians were motivated, although that's important, but the message of Jesus cannot be spread by mere motiva human motivation or by mere human strength. Think about it. To make disciples of all nations. That's like an impossible task. And even maybe, maybe some of us may feel like reaching our, our friends and our family members who are not Christians seem like an impossible task. But Jesus tells them to wait so that they would be supernaturally empowered according to the promise of the Father. And the promise was the promise of the Holy Spirit. And this verse, verse 5, is parallel with, uh, with Luke's gospel in Luke chapter 24, verse 49, where Jesus says, And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. You see, the promise of the Holy Spirit was foreshadowed by John, but by, the, by John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3 verse 11, Luke chapter 3 verse 16, and John chapter 1 verses 31 to 34. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. Whoever came would experience some cleansing, forgiveness of sins. His baptism symbolized cleansing, but he said to the crowd that one day there will be someone who will be mightier than he is. And so John the Baptist was saying that Jesus will one day baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And this is also known as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, I won't have the time to deal with this topic, but the challenge for us 
as we walk through the book of Acts and even consider the whole counsel of God is to consider the meaning of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, as Baptists, we may not be familiar with that phrase, but, as a po- but our Pentecostal brothers and sisters are familiar with it. The baptism of the Holy Spirit was it a unique experience in the early church, or was this experience for all people, for all Christians, for all time? Those are some of the things we will consider in, in future sermons. But in brief, let me just say this, that the way I'm approaching this this, this uh, book of Acts is that we are to be cautious. We are to be cautious in the way we interpret and apply the book of Acts because the way I'm interpreting is, is that Acts is a narrative. It's a historical account in a particular historical context. Luke is describing to us events that happened in the early church. There was a unique experience in the early church at Pentecost where they experienced the fullness of the Holy Spirit so as to speak in tongues and seeing many souls saved and added to the church by the powerful sermon given by the Apostle Peter. But let me just say that not everything that we see in the book of Acts, not everything that the early church did should be replicated by modern churches. Just give you one of the many examples here. That is found at the end of chapter 1 here in Acts chapter 1. See, the apostles, they were replacing, this, they were replacing Judas with another apostle. And so the apostles were deciding who, who will replace Judas. And so what they did was, not only did they pray, but they cast Lot. They cast Lot, they cast it Lot in order to discern God's will in choosing a man to replace Judas. And so as Christians, should we as Christians then cast lot to discern God's will for our life and for our church? Well, my answer is no, because nowhere else in the New Testament letters are Christians commanded and instructed to cast lot in order to discern the will of God. That's just what the early church did. I don't think we're supposed to be replicating it. But the timeless, the, the timeless principle that we can take away regarding the baptism of the Holy Spirit is that all Christians should have re- they, is that all Christians have received the Holy Spirit upon their conversion. We, as been, has been said in the service during prayer time, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God resides in us. And Paul instructs us in Ephesians to be filled with the Holy Spirit to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the result of being filled with the Holy Spirit is that we would, have, we would experience true and heartfelt worship towards our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We are to be filled with the fullness of God so as to be an effective witness for our Lord. And that's what Christ says, particularly to his apostles in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where, where Jesus says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And so for us, we are to be witnesses in the Oak Ridge and Langara community, and Marble community. We are to be witnesses in our neighborhood of where, wherever we are living. We are to be witnesses to the 
in the city of Greater Vancouver that would impact the province of BC and to the country of Canada and to the rest of the world. Think about it right now. As there's so much construction going on in the Cami Corridor, we need to recognize that the world is coming to our community. So what are we doing to prepare ourselves to be witnesses in this community at this time in our context? You see, to, to witness to the world is an, is an impossible task by our own human strength. So we need to be filled and empower, be empowered by the Holy Spirit, to be empowered with, to be clothed with power on high. And so if we as a church are to face a task unfinished, then we must be led and empowered by the Spirit to do the work and continue the work of Jesus, whether if you're laymen or leaders, deacons or elders, past, or for myself, pastor, we must be led and empowered by the Holy Spirit to do God's will. And so I will continue the second part of this topic next Sunday. But I'll leave you with these questions again. Do you want to face a task unfinished? And if so, are you growing in the knowledge of the message of the gospel and of the Bible? And if not, then will you do that this morning and, for, and here on? And are you experiencing the might of the Holy Spirit? If not, do you want to? Will you be filled with the Holy Spirit? So I'll leave you with those questions to think about. Let's pray. Father God, it is impossible for us to face the task unfinished by our own strength. Lord, Lord, I pray that even during this time of COVID, we, some of us are feeling fatigued already, we're tired. Sometimes we may feel unmotivated. Maybe some of us are just going through the motion, motion and just trying to survive this pandemic. But Lord, still, there's work to be done in our church, in our city, Oh God, I pray that we'll be like Isaiah. Who will I send? And Isaiah will say, send me, O oh Lord. So God, I, so God, I pray that you would encourage us and challenge us and even empower us this day forward as we embark in this journey in the book of Acts. And, and, and I pray that it will transform us as a church, that it will renew us reorient us and remind us of to take this message of the gospel seriously. Wherever we're at, whether if we're at school, at the work, or even at home still. So God, help us this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.